Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Some days life feels perfect. Other days it just ain't working. The good, the bad, the right, the wrong, and everything in between. We say mountains crumble with every syllable. Hope can live or die. So speak life, speak life to the dead and darkest night. Speak life, speak life when the sun won't shine and you don't know why. Look into the eyes of the broken hearted. Watch them come alive as soon as you speak hope. You speak love. You Welcome to another episode of the Butterfly Evolution Show. This is Rodney Jordan, and I believe we also have on uh, the line with us Miss Tammy Gator. Tammy, are you there? I am here. Hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's good to have you on with us. Well, I am glad. I'm I'm coming to myself. I'm feeling so much better day by day. So <laughs> it's just working. I don't know what will happen after it. But this is working mentally. <laughs> <laughs> that is always a blessing. I'm going to start us off tonight with the scripture, and that will be uh, Luke, the 14th chapter and the 28th verse. And it says, For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest happily after he have laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it began to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Again, that's Luke, the 14th chapter, that's verses 28 through 30, and that ties into what we're going to be talking about tonight. So uh, before we get into our show, uh, we do have a, a great man that I've had a chance to uh, talk to a little bit over the past few weeks. He was on... Uh, with us a couple of weeks ago, and we we just said this man is is just so wise. We have to have him back on, and uh, definitely has a lot to share with the people. Uh, just a reminder: if you are listening to the Butterfly Evolution Show tonight online, make sure that you are a registered follower of the show. It is very quick, very easy. In order to post comments in the chat room, uh, anything that you Post in the chat room. We we keep everyone anonymous, so you don't have to worry about us giving out your name. If you want to give out your name, that is that is perfectly fine with us. If you're listening by phone, then please press the number one at any time. If you have a question or a comment, and we will definitely do our best to get you into the to the conversation. As always, we have a great show lined up for you tonight. Uh, in the midst of this crazy world that we're living in. Um, before we get started, this morning I woke up 
at a, at around five o'clock, somewhere somewhere around five o'clock. And so I, I went on Facebook, and the very first thing that I see is that this young lady, who um, I had a chance to meet when I was in tenth grade, um, and we we ended up graduating the same the same year, uh, was in a, a fatal car crash yesterday in Fayetteville, North Carolina. So I definitely our our hearts, our thoughts, and our prayers uh, go out to her family. Um, she couldn't have been no more than 33 years old. She was in the army, um, a mother, and just a young, another young life gone away from us. Um, but that that just made me think about people taking th- taking things for granted, people taking life for granted, people taking relationships for granted with their with their with their loved ones, with their friends. And I, I would like to challenge everyone before we get in, before we bring our guests on, and just say, if the, if you know that there is anything, um, any bad blood, any unforgiveness between you and another individual, get that straight before you do anything else, because you never know when your time is going to be up, and you don't know when their time is going to be up. And what you don't want to happen is one of your lives comes to an end and you never got a chance or you never decided to get it right because you had a chance to get it right. You just chose not to. And if you're holding grudges, let them go. Let them go because it's definitely not worth it. But we're going to bring on our guest at this time. Uh, His name is uh, Mr. Greg Whitaker, also known as, the Debt Shepherd, he's going to be sharing some very, very valuable information with us tonight, and we ha- we're going to try to pick his brain a little bit. Tammy, what do you think? I'm always ready for Greg. He is he is just, <laughs> just just delightful and so insightful about just the habit of money and how we spend. So I'm just always ready to hear and learn and listen, and I hope that our audience, um, not just here, but learn and then take action because regardless of what Greg or you or I say tonight, if the listeners do not take action, if they, they don't start somewhere, if it's just a penny that you sit aside, just start. If you don't start, then then nothing will change, and that is for sure. So I'm always ready to just, just learn more and, and hopefully be able to apply. Sounds good. Greg, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. We can hear you quite well. Uh, Greg, why don't you go ahead and uh, tell our audience a little bit about yourself and and, and what you plan to to give to the people tonight. Well, first of all, um, and I say this very slowly because it's very important, it's an honor and it's a privilege to be allowed to come on to your show and to share truth with people. I think when most people say that, it just blows right off of their tongue, and they don't really think about it. It is an honor and a privilege simply because um, I called into your show. Tammy's familiar with me. Um, when we hear truth, we know it, and we say there's something that needs to be listened to. There's something worth saying. There's something worth hearing, and we're all here to do that regardless of who the messenger is. It is an honor and privilege to be here because when I'm speaking to you, the listener, and the host, I'm actually speaking to myself, and that's a deep and a profound truth. We, 
We're not here to cover that, but I simply say that because it is truth. I'm actually talking to myself, and when you hear my voice, you're listening to something that's already inside of you that has been aching to come out of you. So all I'm here to do is just open up the door and turn up the speaker, and you'll go, there's something in what I'm hearing that makes sense to me. Not all of it will ring true for you, but there will be some thread, hopefully tonight, by the time we're done here today with Tammy and Rodney and myself, where you'll go, I, I think I get that. I've been thinking about that. It's been resonating in my mind and in my heart. And hopefully you'll take it and you'll take some action, as Tammy said, because without that, none of what we're going to talk about tonight is going to mean anything to any of us. So thank you for having me. And um, as far as background, and this ties in beautifully kind of with my opening, um, and you said it, Rodney, in the show description, it's actually, believe it or not, it's simpler than you think to change. And it's simpler than you think to understand how easy this thing can be, the mystery of money. And when I say easy, I'll tell you this. I got into the money business in 2000. I walked in off the street with no prior knowledge of the business and got a job. I had good computer skills. There was a timing issue with the gentleman that I asked for a job, and it just worked out. I knew nothing about money, the money business, other than a few books I had read. And he knew that, and I was honest with him, and I, I got into the money business. So all that being said, I've been in the lending industry for 14 years, minus three because I took a break in 08 when the meltdown really started getting crazy. And I drove as a courier. I just wanted to relax for three years. And fortunately, my wife made good enough money to allow me to do that. And then as her retirement approached, which is actually within three to six months of now, she said, you need to get a real job again. And I said, yes, I do. So I went back into the <laughs> Yeah, It's what I do, and, and, and I understand it, and I'm, you know, I'm good at it. And it's a good living. I'm not a wealthy man by any stretch, but it's a good living. And I've been back for two and a half years now. And honestly, since the meltdown, nothing's really changed other than there's a few more rules that the bankers have to follow. And that's okay. That protects you know people that are that are out there you know getting mortgages and stuff. But in '06, when I got tired of being sick and tired, um, I needed a change, and I needed someone to show me, you know, there's a different way to do this thing: borrowing money and paying it back, and all these other things. Fortunately, I found a teacher, and um, in a very short period of time, because I was ready. We've all heard it. When the student is ready, the teacher will appear. I was ready. The teacher appeared because I sought the teacher, and very quickly we started to change the way we handle our money, the way we looked at it, the way we thought about it, the way we felt about it, and we made some basic 3D changes in the world, meaning how we paid our bills. And when, that's going to be in the second half of the show. The first half of the show, as Roddy and I spoke of off mic, is we're going to talk about the history of money, I'm not going to go super deep, but I'll give you enough to get you kind of salivating a little bit, hopefully. <laughs> what is dead? Yeah, go, what is go as deep as you want to go. Yeah, yeah, and we'll just we'll go wherever it goes. And then in the second part, you know, we'll talk about how to get rid of the debt. So I'm not just going to pound on what the problem is. I'm going to talk, hopefully, half of the time about what the solution can be for you, the listener. And when I say you, I mean me. And when I say me, I mean we. And that means what I'm telling you I've done or I'm currently doing in my own life, and it has worked for me. So if you, if you happen to 
um, go to my blog talk page, and I haven't changed this because I just love it. There's a little blurb there that says there are no virgin sex counselors here. I'm not going to tell you what I read in the book. I'm just going to tell you what I've done and if it worked for me, why and how, and that's all. If it works for you, that's okay. Not everything works for everyone in the same way. There's no cut-and-paste way to do this, but there are some basic principles, and they're simple math is all they are. And if you follow them in your life, you can see some change, no matter how big or how small that change is. And hopefully, if you're in a spot where you're tired of doing what you've been doing and not getting anything different, you may see a small enough amount of change to go, I think I want to continue to do this different thing that I learned and to just keep moving forward and things will happen for you. This is not overnight. This is not, as Rodney said in the show description, a get-rich-quick thing. That is absolutely a pipe dream. So if you're here for that tonight, hopefully you will stay and listen, but I just want to give you a disclaimer up front. I'm not going to teach you how to invest in the stock market and get rich in three months. That is not going to happen. For, for normal people, that just doesn't happen. Any comments? No, 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 go ahead. No. <laughs> okay, so the history of money. And by the way, um, money should be – well, let me, let me change that. Money is nothing more than a representation of your energy. And I'm not going to go deep philosophical here. I'm just going to give you the basics. When, when you go to work, when I go to work, I am trading my labor, my energy, and my intention for either a physical piece of paper, which could be a check, or it could be dollars, depending on how you get paid, or it could be an entry into my bank account. It doesn't really matter. It's all the same. So money is a representation of your energy or your intention. Now, what do you mean by intention, Greg? Intention meaning when I go to my job and I have a job, my intent is to be there and to contribute my energy and my blood, sweat, and tears, if you will, in exchange for units of things that can be spent to buy things, bread, gasoline, food, car payments, all these other things. So that's all money is. No matter what the system does to make it look different to you, it's a home equity line of credit. It's debt, okay? It's just a different way of representing to you your ability to harness your energy and get what you want to get. That's all money is. So a broad definition there of, of my idea of what money really is, it's all about you work, you get something in exchange, and then you take that thing and you buy things with it. You, uh, college education, whatever it is that you need, doesn't really matter what it is. So ultimately – what debt is, I'm going to talk about the history of money, and I'm going, to, I'm going to come out of the gate with the big one because debt shepherd is my handle. So what does debt mean? This is what debt means. And if you have a pen, I would most certainly encourage you to write this down. You are not going to hear this from the big names in the mainstream media, the Susie Ormans, the Dave Ramseys, and I'm not poo-pooing these people. They're very well respected, and they have earned their place where they are in their businesses and in their personal lives because they have, they have you know, stuck to their guns and done what they believe is right for them in, in running their businesses, but you're not going to hear this in the mainstream. This is what debt is. Write it down. Debt is selling your future 
labor. We all do it. I'm doing it now. I have a mortgage. Okay. Hopefully it'll be paid off in the next five years if all goes well. And when you sign the note, you are contracting your future labor. What you're saying is, is I promise, and by the way, they call it a promissory note. You're saying, I promise to pay X dollars over X number of years at X interest rate. And that's the way lending has been conducted for quite some time now. And, and this, just, this is just the way the system works. You know, whether you borrow it from a bank or a friend or a loan shark, it's all the same. You're going to borrow ten grand. You're going to pay me six percent interest over thirty years. Whatever. Always keep in mind, debt is selling your future labor. Now, I'm going to touch a little bit on what Rodney said in the show description. You know, why is it that we can't seem to get ahead financially? I think that's a pretty good question. And what most of us do is we beat ourselves up and we say, I don't have enough education. Um, I wasn't born in the right neighborhood or I'm not smart enough, uh, I'm not sexy enough, I'm not whatever. You can put a million labels on on these reasons why we think we're not getting ahead financially. I'm stupid, I've made bad decisions, my parents were poor, I'll always be poor. Um, all people of a certain color or, or background or education have all the money, they're hoarding it. People in my background or education or color or whatever are never going to get it because those people are keeping it. Many of those things are very true. But what I will tell you is, is if you understand a few basic principles about the way debt is created, why it's created, and how you can get out of the mess that you might be in, none of that stuff's going to matter to you anymore because you're going to have a little bit of inside information, for lack of a better word. And those things that bother you, maybe about why you got into debt, why you can't get out, why you may think you're poor – those won't matter as much to you because you'll be able to look at your situation and go, I'm free of the bank. I'm free from Visa, MasterCard, Discover, uh, Elks, whoever these people are that you're giving your money to. We've all done it, me included. And when you're free or as you become more free as time moves on, those other reasons of, of blaming or whatever they may be, they don't really mean much anymore. Does that make any sense? It does. Greg, can I can I stop you and ask you um, a question and or, or maybe a comment, and then you can kind of go a little bit on because you're touching on um, you're kind of going back, and I, and I and I love that and I appreciate that because so many people, I feel they don't go back far enough to understand the hidden habits of what they've learned from childhood through sight through how they're, in most cases, sometimes how their parents lived or, or, or where, way they, where they lived, how they grew up, what they grew up with. And so in some instances, I think people, um, when you talked about your intent to do what with this money, and it's, it's about the energy, and I think sometimes we, get, we, we, we don't focus on that because we have no intention because we feel like we cannot get past where my mother um, surpassed or my father or my family. No one has gone here. No one has did this. So can you at some point um, maybe talk about breaking the hidden habits of, of, of what we see that makes us think we cannot save, we cannot pay off, or we don't have to have um, the Belts card or the Macy's card and that kind of thing? Because 
in some cases that is to do that is to fulfill something that we're already lacking. So can you yeah. touch a little bit more on that part about the the bringing up part where we come from and things like that? Sure. And it um, doesn't have to I, be now at some point. No, no, let, let's cover that. I can only share with you my experience. And I'll I'll tell you this. My father was born into a sharecropper's family in Earl, Arkansas. What that means is that they had gotten themselves financially into a situation where they were bound to the land that the cotton was growing on. Okay, They borrowed money from whoever owned the land and whoever owned the machinery, and they always made just enough to just barely be able to eat. And there's nothing worse than that other than absolute physical slavery. That's the next best thing to slavery is being a sharecropper. So I could have said, well, my grandfather was a sharecropper. My on my dad's side, my grandfather on my mom's side was a truck driver. You know, this is back when Jimmy Hoffa ruled the roost. You know, back in those days, if you didn't pay your union dues, they came and broke body parts back in those days. And I could have said, well, that's just the way it is. That's the way it's supposed to be. And we can all do that. And I'm not saying, oh, look at me, look at me. That's not what I'm saying. You can wake up and look around you. And as a baby, you don't have much of a choice. As a young child, you really don't have much of a choice. But there comes a time when you reach a certain age, and I know Rodney is hearing an echo in the book that he wrote, Tired of Being Black, and that is not a shameless plug. I'm simply bringing this up because it's important. He said, I can continue to live the way society expects me to live because of my social status, my social stratification and the color of my skin and my upbringing, or I can break the chain I can break the pattern, and I can move in a completely different direction. And if you're listening to my voice, it takes far more energy to break the pattern than it does to continue to live in the one that you were raised in. And this why, is do you, why, why do you think so many people have a hard time? And then I'm going to, uh, uh, before you get into the tips, I'm going to jump into some articles um, <laughs> that I read today. Um, that I found to be quite interesting. But why do you think it's so hard for people to break these cycles or, you know, get away from, you know, I guess what may not be the best family tradition? Why why do you think it's so hard for people to break away from from cycles? I, I think it's hard for most people to break away from the cycles. I can only speak for myself. It was hard for me to break away from the cycle because... I knew what I needed to do to change, but I knew that it was going to take a lot of time, a lot of effort, and some heartache and some pain to do it, and it was just easier to continue to stay in that pattern. Even though pain was comfortable, even though misery was comfortable, it just felt good. It was like, you know, if the shoe fits, wear it. And there was a time in my life when I didn't have a greater vision for who I could be Ultimately, I already was that, but I didn't know that. And I just think it's easier to just stay in the muck and the mire, generally speaking, than it is to come to the realization that I can rise above that and I can move forward. And it it can be hard to change. Um, If I look into the 3D world and I say, as Tammy mentioned, my parents were this way. All my relatives are this way. No one's ever gone to college. No one's ever stayed out of debt. They've all been whatever. Then that's what I see in the 3D world. And we can argue, we can say, well, the thought creates the 3D world, or we can say the 3D world creates the thought. 
I don't really care what end of this we start on. We need to change something, whether it's the mind, the thought, or it's something going on in the 3D world, meaning, 3D world meaning, I'm going to pay off this debt. I'm going to pay off this stupid collection I've been dragging around for five years, and possibly something in my brain will shift as a result of doing that. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense to me. Um, got a question for you, Greg. Um, what, do, what do you think about this? I read this on uh, LinkedIn. Uh, apparently, a guy named uh, Martin Medley, who's the who's the host of the Reading Circle with Martin Medley, comes on WP eighty eight point seven FM, and this seems to be something that 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 is uh, really big um, across America, and and that is the these Air Jordans. And according to this article, uh, which I found on LinkedIn today, it says that last year uh, when Jordan came out with this particular shoe, first day sales hit $35 million. And then it says last year Jordan made $90 million thanks to his contract with Nike, and that's more than anyone um, in in that industry. But the problem is, um, you know, there are poor children from uh, there, there are poor families or children who come from low income areas who 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 purchase these sneakers. Um, a lot of the people who purchase these sneakers um, come from homes where the 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 parents are receiving government assistance, and we all know that you know these Air Jordan tennis shoes are not that cheap. We know that these shoes cost a hundred to two hundred dollars. Um, but why do you think anyone uh, would feel the need to go out and, and, and buy a pair of shoes, um, not just one pair, but, but several pairs? And, you know, I teach school, and so I, that's all I see walking around the school building is, uh, is Air Jordan. But, but mind you, I want to say 75% of our, of our student population is, is free and reduced lunch. But yet they they have these these shoes that cost a hundred two hundred dollars, and then they have these cell phones that cost about the same, if not more. What are your thoughts on that? Um, it's pretty simple. The reason why Air Jordans sell so well is because of something that I like to call mistaken identity. And you know, when I buy a brand, which I don't, but let's just say that I do buy a brand, a specific brand. I'm not buying the quality, specifically the quality of the jean or the shoe or the shirt. I'm buying what it makes me think I am or how it makes me think I need to feel. And this is where advertising comes in. It's very powerful. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care how smart they think they are. There's a thing called the subconscious mind that is extremely vulnerable, and you don't even have to be paying attention for it to be affected. So... Um, let's just say I'm living, you know, really, really in a bad way in, in more ways than one, financially, uh, socially, whatever. If there's something that I can acquire, you know, um, and, and save my money and then do whatever it is that I need to do to get it, and it makes me feel even just a little bit better, and it just for even a moment helps me to forget where I am, there's a lot of things I'm going to do to get that thing. And I can remember, I can only relate addiction in my own life. The first time I ever got drunk, 
I felt so amazing that I was willing to do a lot of things to feel that way again, up to and including <laughs> haunting myself. You know, and I know that's a stretch, but that's a that's a, a similar thread. But why do really really poor people buy your Jordans? I think it's the same reason why uh, middle class and rich people buy them. Because they look at Michael uh, Michael Jordan and they say, I want to be like Mike, right? That's a brand in itself. Well, what does yeah. it mean to be like Mike? Wealthy, rich, famous, sexy, whatever the case may be. So we sort of bring these things into our awareness or our possession to just get a tiny little bit of that feeling because we don't really have it inside. We feel empty. And, and what we do is we fill the void with something 3D. Um, ultimately... All the while, and this is a deeper teaching, and I know you both know this, um, we already have all of these things inside of us. But if we're not aware of that, we're going to fill the void with things that we can touch. You know, bling is what they call it in the hood, right? Bling? Um, <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is called bling. That, that, yeah. That's interesting that you say that, though, because I, you know, I, I've had a number of conversations with with parents over the years, and not just as a teacher, but just, you know, in general. And I've often heard, well, you know, my family struggled, you know, or my parents struggled uh, when I was growing up, and, and, and so my parents weren't able to buy us certain things, and so, you know, I want my, my children to, to have nice things. And my argument has always been, well, why do you have to have these particular things to feel like your child has nice, nice things. And then on the other hand, it's the, well, if they don't have, you know, name brand or, if they you know, if they're not with the style, then they're going to be teased or they're going to be bullied. And, you know, I feel like if you teach your, if you teach your, your children the value of, of life, the value of money, the value of education. You give them some. You give them an identity. Then these things don't bother them as much. But I think I think parents tend to feed into uh, stereotypes, and I think parents tend to feed into lifestyles, and then bring their children into it as well. And their children, you know, just keep it going, and it it just becomes one vicious cycle. Yeah, it, it it takes me back to the um, kind of the – and I was thinking about this before the show. You and I spoke off mic, obviously. You're a teacher. You teach young people. I choose to teach adults, and it's like you know, some say we need to start when they're young, and that's a good thing, and some say we need to start when they're older, and that's also a good thing. So do we catch them before they form the bad habits, or do we try to get them when they're older and get them to change their habits? Well, we're both doing good work because you're, you're trying to get them before they form these bad habits, but I'm over here dealing with the adults. Why? Because if they don't change the way they think about what we're speaking of, they're going to continue to teach their children these things, and then we're just mm-hmm. in this catch-22. So back to the part about giving children all these things, and it's, it's beautiful. If I were to say this, and I have no kids by choice, by the way, but if I were to say this, I want to give my kids everything I never had. I can only speak from my experience. Financially speaking, my dad had nothing. They were dirt poor. He said, Greg, we were so poor we didn't even know it because we didn't know anybody that had any more than we did. So if my dad had given me everything he never had, that means he would have had to have given me everything, and I would have been so spoiled 
I would have never learned to work hard and to value the things that I did acquire, whether they be money, whatever. And, and that can be an empty argument if you're a parent and you say, well, Greg, you don't understand. I'm not going to argue that point, but I will tell you this. If I walk out on my front porch and there's 10 people across the street walking across a bed of broken glass and nails and they're bleeding to death, I don't need to walk through that bed of nails and glass to know that what they're doing is unhealthy. That's true. Common sense prevails. So it gets <laughs> down to this. Do I want to continue? You, you, you would think so, but common sense isn't so common, common anymore. <laughs> What's that? I said you would think so, but common sense just isn't so common anymore. Yeah. And, you know, it's, I mean, that's a touchy subject. I don't have children, so I don't, I don't tell people, you should do this. Um, <laughs> but I can only look the way my dad raised me, and, you know, that's just the way that it was. He said, we were so poor, we didn't know anybody with money, so we figured that's how everybody was. Um, but I think it is, um, it goes back to the parents. You know, let's just say I'm a single dad or a single mom, and I've got two kids, and I feel the need to put Air Jordans on their feet. I need to ask myself this. Why do I feel the need to do that? Well, Greg, they'll be teased. Do you really want to raise your children um, telling them that it's okay to be just at the whim of that kind of social pressure? Are you kidding me? We're talking about <laughs> shoes, people. Now, there was a time in history not too long ago when when you looked at a person, you in, in a tenth of a second, you knew what their social status was based by, on what they wore. This yeah. was before. We all had equal access, generally speaking, to credit, to the ability to borrow money, to put shoes and clothing on us that can actually camouflage the fact that we're not quite in the financial and social status that we like others to think we are. Because back in these many thousands of years ago, you either had the money or you didn't because you weren't borrowing it from Visa, baby. I think it's. I think it's getting to. I think it's getting back to that point now. I think our. I think our side. Our society is getting to a place where, uh, it's either you have it or you don't. And, and I think it's. I think it may have always been like that, but we just didn't realize it. Realize that it was like that because, you know, the government has a way of manipulating data and manipulating facts, but. You know, there's always been like this top one percent sitting at the top controlling everything, and while you know the 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 rest of us are are struggling and scrambling trying to either meet goals or you know just become victims of the system. But I yeah. think I think we're definitely getting back to that, and, and there are many times that I worry that we're gonna that, that that we're on our way to becoming a third world country, where there won't yeah. be a middle class. Yeah, and the only reason why the middle class exists in the United States is because we have the ability to borrow money. Okay, go to Mexico. Greg, have you been there? You're damn right, I've been there. Do you know anybody that lives there? I personally know someone who lives there, who was born and raised there. They chose to take part of their education in the U.S., but they live in Mexico. They come from a second or a third generation of. Um, I would say probably middle upper class hotel owners, and I'm not talking Hillens and all this. Okay, there is no middle class in Mexico. You're either poor or you're rich. Why? They don't have the lending industry that we have. But if you leave it up to the Federal Reserve Bank, which operates globally, that will change. 
they will eventually enslave those people as they've enslaved us, and they're already doing it. Walmart is a good example. Go to Mexico. Go to Guadalajara. Walk into the Walmart in there, and there is a credit union. It's a bank owned by Walmart, and they want you to get a checking account, and they'll give you free checking and free savings, and they'll sign you up for things like life insurance and payday loans all day long. Yeah, they I mean I don't know what those numbers are, but I do know that Walmart applied for a federal banking charter and the federal banking system said, well, We will consider this if you will show us your profit and loss statements and they said, I don't think that's any of your business. Mm. Because they wanted to get into the credit card business, which is the purest form of slavery that any human being has ever invented, ever in the history of man, other than actual physical slavery. Wow. This is is nasty stuff, and it gets back to the history, because we talked about that before the show. Let's talk about the history, and then we'll talk about how to get out. Uh, The history is pretty simple. In, In 1913, the Federal Reserve Bank became a reality, legally speaking, in the United States. Congress... Prior to that, have the ability to create money, to coin, and all these other things. You can, if you're a pure constitutionalist, I'm not here to argue that with you. I'm giving you the broad brush, the broad strokes of this. Congress had the ability to control money prior to 1913, and here's what they did. They outsourced it. They 1099 it to a for-profit corporation. So in a nutshell, the Federal Reserve Bank has nothing to do with the federal government of the United States. It is a completely separate corporation, and it comes from Europe. Now, the head of the Federal Reserve, the main branch, is in New York City. Big deal. That's where most all the power comes from because that's where Wall Street is. But I can promise you, if you're a history buff, the Federal Reserve banking system is a slavery system. It operates globally. No one is immune to its power or its control except for a very – few countries who still have a sovereign currency, and the Federal Reserve will continue to lean on them until they are subdued, just as everyone else on the planet has been. And the thing is, is you can't escape this. And it gets back to this. Well, damn, Greg, this is pretty dark and nasty and ugly. What do we do? There's nothing we can do. Let's just stay in debt. I had a friend who was a very devout Christian, an amazing family man. He said, Greg, I'm not worried about paying off my credit cards. Jesus is coming back. I said, really? What if your timing is a little bit off? You know, what if your timing is just a teeny bit off? You're only going to live to be statistically 75, and you're 40-ish now. Wouldn't it be a decent idea to maybe get rid of this slavery known as debt just in case the rapture doesn't happen in your lifetime? Now, I think he's changed his thinking since then. That's been you know many years ago. I'd say at least 10 or so. And I think he's cleaned up a lot of stuff. But just to let you know, the listener, the system that you were born into, um, it's not your fault. It was that way when you showed up. Um, But once you know the basics of how it works and why it works, it's up to you whether you want to continue to stay involved in the slavery system or subtract yourself from it. And it goes back to a little bit of what Roddy and I talked about before the show. We must change We cannot wait for the government to change, and I will tell you this without reservation, and this is going to upset a lot of your listeners. Voting is not the answer. It is actually irresponsible to simply pull the lever every two to four years and say, 
I am done, and wash your hands as Pontius Pilate did and say, I am absolved of the guilt. Why do you think the judge says, may God have mercy on your soul when he bangs the gavel? Because he knows he's just the middleman. He's not really handing down the punishment. He knows that God is ultimately responsible for that. So for you to simply say, I voted, I did my job, and whatever happens, happens. In my book, that's irresponsible. Because why? There's a lot you can be doing in between the times when you do vote. I'm not telling you not to vote. I'm simply telling you instead of going, in four years it might get better because a bunch of people on Capitol Hill are going to get together, and they're going to come up with a new rule, and they're going to write it on a piece of paper. What is money printed on? Oh, it's printed on paper. Isn't that interesting? And they're going to all say, we voted, and this is the new rule, and they're going to tell the world what the rule is, and we're all going to go, okay, fine, it's the new rule, and we're just going to keep bouncing around like a bunch of ping-pong balls, waiting for a bunch of people, three or 400 people on Capitol Hill at best, to control our lives. And if I, if I give you anything tonight, it's simply this. You don't need to let people control your life just because you voted them in. You can do a lot of things today, right now, when you get done listening to this show. And we're going to share that towards the end of the show, the second half, which is the 8 o'clock hour, which is in about 20 minutes. We're going to talk about how to get out of debt. And all you do, it's, it, it's pretty easy. Check it out. You're living in a neighborhood. And I'm using this as an example. Okay, and you're like, you know, I'm really tired of this one dude standing on this one corner, and he's selling dope to the kids. I'm sick of it. We need the police to do something about this problem. Now, let's assume he's not shooting anyone. He's not physically harming anyone. He's just standing there selling dope, and you're tired of it, right? And we always blame the guy selling the dope. And we expect the police to show up and take care of the problem or somebody in power to vote or to make a new rule to make this person go away. Why don't we focus on the people that are buying the dope, the kids? And I'm not saying there isn't always going to be someone who's going to do that, but let's look at what can we fix. Why are they over there buying the dope? Is there any way we can give them something else to do, some other way to experience life other than getting high? And the answer is yes, we can. And eventually, if enough people stop buying dope, the dude selling it is going to leave. Right? Hey, hey, Greg, this is Tammy, and this reminds me of something you said on the last show, and I'm going to try to get this in your words, but basically you were saying, like, what if less of – what if less of the world or the things of the world is more of you? And when you talk about the, the guy on the corner with the dope, I look at the system, the things that this world makes us think we have to have right now as the dope. So if we stop buying the dope in, in the sense of whether it's the, the Jordans or the purses or the cars, if we stop buying the dope, do you think the system would change? Would would it be forced to change if we if we started just simplifying our lives based on what we need for today and stop buying into that crap? Yeah, we if we begin to change, we being me individually, I don't mean Tammy and I don't mean Rodney because the only person that I can control in the area of change is Greg Whitaker. Damn it! So that's who I'm talking to. Is I'm talking to you, the listener. So yes. The answer is if I no longer buy the dope or the Air Jordans 
or the Kardashians or any of these pop singers, whatever it is, <laughs> that system is going to dry up if we're just talking about economics. I mean, I'm not saying that pop music is a bad thing. I mean, there, there are good people in everything, and there are bad people in everything. Everything has an opposite side to the coin. But if we're talk, talking strictly about the dude peddling the dope, if he stops getting customers, he's going to leave. And I got news for you. Um, if, if you've ever complained about paying $9 for a draft beer at a ball game, you're the reason why they're charging 9 because you're paying a ridiculous amount of money to get into the stadium. You're buying these, these jerseys that are made in China for 50 times what it costs to make them. You're the problem. You're feeding the machine. You're feeding the beast. All you've got to do is start it out, and it will eventually die. That's some deep stuff, Greg. And, and Sam, we talked about this a few months ago, that you cannot defeat an enemy that you're supporting. Mm-hmm. Right. That, that, there, there's no way that you can do it. As long as you, you are giving your enemy ammunition, you can't complain about them whooping your butt on the battlefield. Because you're giving them ammunition. And every time we go out and we spend our money recklessly or we we buy things that that we don't need or we buy things that we really can't afford, that's exactly what you're doing. You know, I I could have gone home, uh, which is three hours away from where I currently live, uh, you know, for a funeral. And... I, I counted the cost, like the scripture we read to start this out. I counted the cost, and I said, can I financially do this? Yes. It, is it going to put me in a situation I don't want to be in when I get back? Yes. So guess what? I'm not going. Was it, was it me going to be out on the street? No. But I was going to be in a situation that I did not want to be in. Yeah, it's it's, and I think a big part of the reason why most of us make the financial decisions that we make, and we kind of end up in a place we don't really want to be, is because we think that's what's expected of us. You know, this is what I'm supposed to do. I mean, does anybody on the call or anybody listening know anyone who went to college and got a degree in something they absolutely really didn't care about? But that's what my parents told me I was supposed to be or do, and they footed the bill, so. Kind of felt obligated to do that. Really, you tortured yourself for four years because it's what you were expected to do. I'm not saying that's not easy to break away from that expectation. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying how much is your peace of mind, how much is your sanity worth to you? And there was a time in my life when mine wasn't worth two cents because I sold it. To addiction. The devil never kicked down Greg's door and said, let's party. I called the devil and said, come on over, brother. Let's roll. <laughs> we have a couple of comments coming from the chat room, Greg, if you want to um, address those. Yeah, let's see here. Um, who cares if it dies? The deal is waking up to who you are as a cosmic being. I agree. So your vibration will upshift and you, your desires will upshift too. Absolutely. And your priorities have to change. I agree. People don't make financial decisions. They're mesmerized and operate via impulse, and consumerism is the driving mechanism. That can certainly be the case, um, 
when people are just sort of operating kind of on a default mode. Um, and I think, you know, the thing is, is, you know, the old saying, once you know, you know. Uh, and that's part of what I do teach is just telling people, you know, hey, look, we're just going to pull the curtain back a little bit. I'm going to show you some stuff, and you can go, yeah, whatever, and move on. Or you can go, wait a minute, that's pretty cool. And then you can make a decision for yourself. Um, and not everything that everyone hears is going to echo and, and make sense or even uh, vibrate with them if you're in that circle of, of thinking and believing. But most of the time in my life when a seed was planted, it sort of sat dormant for a little while. And then I would look back and pick it up and then plant it into the ground, push it into the soil, pour some water on it. What is the water? The water is my intention. The water is my desire. The water is my whatever. And then a little plant sprouted up. And I said, this is kind of cool. I like this. You know, the, the old teaching, seed, comma, time, comma, harvest, period. That's the way all cycles work. Respond, respond right. to the next one, uh, uh, Greg. There, there's uh, one more from the same person. What do you think? Uh, everyone says, I know, but the key to knowing is applying what you know to your own life, then you really know. Absolutely. And I will echo it with this. There is no such thing as a revelation unless it is a revelation about me. Greg, that sounds selfish. No, it doesn't. It simply means this. If I'm sitting and having some cool time with the Creator, call it what you want, prayer, whatever, meditation, I don't care what label you put on it, and all of a sudden a thought hits my brain and I go, I just had a revelation about my brother Mike. No, you didn't. You just had a thought or maybe even a judgment about him, whether it was good, bad, or indifferent. A revelation means something was revealed to me. Something was pull, The covering was pulled back, and Greg saw something about Greg that he needed to change or that he didn't realize before, and he took it, hopefully, and he moved forward. There is no revelation about anyone else other than yourself. And where does this come from? It comes from the Creator. So anything that we talk about or teach in terms of changing and realizing I need to do something different, it isn't going to come from me or from Tammy or from Rodney. You're going to hear it, and you're going to put it into your own language so it will fit into the keyhole that works best for you. You're the one that has to turn the key, and you're the one. See, turning the key is not enough. You have to turn the doorknob, and guess what? Turning the doorknob is not enough. You have to open the door, and oh my goodness, opening the door is not enough. You've got to walk through the damn thing. <laughs> right? Yeah, that that is true. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question uh, before I get into this other article, uh, and I know you have some some great tips for the for, for the listeners, but. Uh, this article is very controversial, and that's why I'm holding it. Uh, as, uh, <laughs> we, we, we may rub some people the wrong way, but I hope they stay with us. Uh, but before I get into this, this article, um, I do have a question. What do you have to say to the people who, um, who say, you know, I can't take it with me, so I might as well spend it now. You know, I might as well enjoy it now. What do you, what do you say to those people? Oh, you mean um, if I were thinking in terms of if I don't borrow money, I'll never have anything? Well, no. Like, we're so 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 let's let's say you know people get uh, income tax refunds are are a great spending time of the year. Black Friday. Um, anytime oh, yeah. people get their hands on money, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of people and you know you know wonder why they have the reckless spending habits that they do. 
in their response, excuse me, is always, well, I can't take it with me when I leave here, so I might as well spend it now. Their thought isn't, you know, to save it. You know, their thought isn't to 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 leave anything for their for their children or their grandchildren. Their thought isn't to leave a a legacy. Their yeah. thought is, well, one day I'm going to die, and I can't take this money with me, so I better spend all of my money now. I better enjoy my life while I can now. What do you say to those people? Um, I don't know if I've ever specifically felt that way. I think for me it was more of like I just need to get some more money in the bank because uh, I don't have kids. So that particular legacy has never been a part of my life. But I do understand um, how powerful it can be if we can accumulate some level of wealth, no matter what the level is, and leave it to our, you know, our kids, our relatives, or whatever. But if I'm in a mindset of, you know, I'm never going to have anything, so whatever shows up, I'm going to spend it. That is a place of lack. That is a place of I am so afraid that nothing else is ever going to show up, that whatever does show up, I'm just going to smother it and consume it and feel good about it now. And I'm never going to plan for a week ahead, a month ahead, a year ahead, five years ahead, and we end up living what's called hand-to-mouth. Every dollar that comes in goes to pay the basics, food, clothing, shelter, and there's nothing left. And the only reason why we haven't been more aware of our habit of doing that is because of our ability to be access to cheap credit. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Our ability to borrow money and spread the payments out over 30 years. When you can spread the payments out over 30 years, you forget the fact that you don't have good saving habits. And I'm not saying we can all save 100 grand, 150 grand, and buy a house. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is, is as early as the 1960s, a three-bedroom, two-brick ranch cost less than $60,000. And there's a reason why it now cost triple to quadruple to even more than that. It's called inflation. But, you know, even then, quite honestly, credit cards have only been around for maybe at best the 1950s. We're not talking very long here. You know, when people say, well, my grandparents saved their money. Yes, they did. And what we've done is we've, we, we've grown up in a society, all of us because of the media and the banking system, that teaches us you need it now, you're going to get it now, you don't ever have to wait, you don't ever have to work for it, and you can be gratified instantly. So we want in like 30 days, most people want to close a mortgage loan in a month or they're upset, right? They want to close right. in 30 days and have what their grandparents saved for 25 years to get. And we simply become spoiled. All of us, I'm included in this. I've participated in all of it. You know, try to slowly subtract myself out of the system. You don't go cold turkey overnight. I mean, you can, but you go through withdrawals, like coming off a smack, right? Your body's like, whoa, what's going on here? You've been giving me this really amazing stuff, and now all of a sudden you're not doing that anymore. You're going to have withdrawals. You can slowly remove yourself from the system. But, yeah, I mean, you can spend it all now, and you can get the income tax return, and you can you – can, Buy the you know the good used car for four grand or the Air Jordans or whatever. But the bottom line is this: is when when you're on your deathbed, you're not going to be thinking about your car or any of those things. What are you going to be thinking about? How did I treat people? How did people treat me? 
Are there any people in this room that love me that are going to be here when I experience this rite of passage known as death? You're not going to be thinking about Michael Jordan. You're not going to be thinking about uh, Eminem. You're not going to be thinking about Puff Daddy. You're not going to be thinking about any of these people. White, black, green, brown, it doesn't really matter. You're not going to be thinking about any of those people. You're either going to be thinking to yourself, I'm either straight with the big guy upstairs or I'm not. And if you're not, there's a good chance you're going to be scared. And I'm not saying I'm straight and you're not. All I'm saying is what's important to you? That's all that really matters. You are, definitely, you are definitely delivering some powerful things tonight. And I want to get your, 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 your opinion on this article. Uh, unless Taylor wants to jump in here. No, I'm good. Go ahead, Rodney. I'm good. Okay. Well, uh, well I think we're going to have something to say about this article that I was reading earlier to, uh, today. Um, and it comes from, and I'll post it on, uh, I'll post it on Facebook in just a second, but it, it comes from youngblackintelligent.com. And the title of the article was uh, Blacks Work for Money, Whites Make Money. And it says, um, it basically talks about how you know this this younger guy was having a having a conversation. Uh, younger black guy was having having a conversation with an older black guy, and it says, you know, and the and the 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 older black the older black guy was telling the the younger black guy. He said, you know, black people only spend their money 180 degrees. White people spend it 360 degrees. And so he said, well, what do you mean? And the older gentleman said, when black folk get money, what do we do? We go out and buy cars, jewelry, clothes, all that kind of stuff. We get rid of our money and never see it again, so we have to keep slaving to make more. But white people invest their money. They save. They spend wisely. They look to the future, not just to the present. So they see their money again, either in the stock market or in their savings or somewhere else, so they can retire nicely without having to slave away. Now, we don't necessarily have to deal with the racial aspect of it, but what do you think about the content of that? And I, and, and I want to ask both uh, you, Greg, and Tammy, what do you think about the content? And, and I'll post the full article uh, now. Um, I'll just change the wording here, not to be politically correct. Plug in black and white, it doesn't matter, but let's soften it a little. Some work for money and some make money, right? Yep. So that's definitely true, regardless of where we live. Some work for money, some make money. Um, I will tell you this. <laughs> yeah, there's a very few people who actually make money if we're talking about the banking system. It's called the Federal Reserve. They have a legal monopoly on the creation of money. And if you try to create your own money, they throw you in prison, understandably so, because you threaten their monopoly. You threaten their supply. Now, at a deeper level, Believe it or not, ironically speaking, we all actually create money. How do we do that when we sign the note? When I sign the promissory note, I'm creating the money. Now, I don't expect everybody to understand that. It doesn't mean that I'm so damn smart that you'll never get that. That's a deeper teaching for another show. But what I am saying is this, is if you've ever thought that I'm working for money and these other small group of people are making the money – you're actually making money, but you just don't know it. You're creating it when you sign the promissory note, and we've all fallen prey to this, every last one of us, unless we're at the extremely high levels of this thing, and nobody at that level is listening to this show. 
but I get what you're saying. It's it's a division point to look at one group of people and say, you know, I'm busting my hump here. Uh, my dad died at the factory, nine to five, four kids, whatever. And we're not taking anything away from that. That is a reality. That is a 3D reality. But then we look at this other group of people and we're like, man, these people are making money. And I understand. And I will tell you this. Rich people teach their children things about money that poor people don't teach their children about money. Right? And one of the biggest things that I try to do is just give a few of those basics so we can just lift our heads up a little bit. And as I said in my last calling, stop staring at the ground where the amoebas and the paramecium and the lower animals live and lift our heads up and look at least straight in front of us, if not completely in a total 360-degree circle around us, and then ultimately up, as we would say metaphorically, to the heavens, if we will. Right? Because as long as we keep our head down, we don't see what's going on around us and we can be taken advantage of. That's true. Rodney, I, I feel that it is it, it is basically goes back to a mindset and kind of how we started out with um, how we experience life through how we are raised, through the communities that we are raised in, and the people that we are raised around and how they impact our lives. Um, it's just a, it's, a, it's a mindset of poverty, and so it's to those people who have that mindset of poverty. And sometimes we don't know that we do. We because it's so normal, it feels so right. Um, Dad, mom lived this way, they survived. We're okay. Grandma, grandpa lived this way, they survived. We're okay. And no one is working to change the mindset of the generation that we are bringing up, it seems that, I won't say no one, it seems that very few because we're so caught up on the things of this world rather than valuing people in our lives and just and being okay with what we can afford as long as we have what we need, which is just the basics, the food, the housing, shelter, and so forth. So I, I, I feel it goes back to, again, that, that mindset of poverty where this is my future. This is why when I get the the income tax, I'm going to have a ball because I'm 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 good. This is how I live. I can survive. This is we we're good to an to a degree and to an extent. So there's no there's no mindset to prepare and even leave it for the child because in that in in some instances the parent's mindset is, hey, he's going to be good, too. We made it. Grandma made it. It's okay. We've adapted to this. So it's a, it's a, it's a poverty mindset that creates habits within us based on where we are, where we were raised, with who, and, again, how. And if, if someone doesn't step in, and there is no excuse. It's like Greg said earlier when we started the show. We know. People know. We can we can stop with the knowledge because if you don't have it, there are many many ways to get it. Number one, being the show tonight, people are going to some are need to hear this, but they're going to simply choose football. They're going to simply choose another show to watch and forget about this because this means now I gotta I gotta deal with some facts some facts that people have poured more into me. So now I know even more. So if I avoid this, hey. I'm good. I don't have to deal with this feeling. So choices. Forget about where where we came from and and what we say we don't know, we know. 
And if you don't know and you want to know, there's every avenue to get the knowledge. Yeah, that is that that is so true. And and I'll just add this: we have definitely. Um, I don't know. I, I I don't even know if I want to say we have become because I feel like it, it's it's so natural now, but we're just conformers instead of transformers and reformers. And it's like the older gentleman, excuse me, used to tell me all the time. A lot of people are like like a dying man on morphine. They're just suffering and covered. They're suffering and don't even realize that they're suffering. And until we educate ourselves, until we decide, hey, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to change some things. And, and Greg went over, you know, some simple uh, some simple things with me before, before tonight's show when we talked. Um, and I think that's the hardest part for us to to understand is that life really isn't that complicated or life does not have to be that complicated. Your finances don't have to be complicated. Your, 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 your marriage or, you know, any relationship that you're in, it does not have to be complicated. Your education does not have to be complicated. But in order to simplify it, you have to be willing to do simple things. You have to be willing to do some work. You have to be be willing to take the necessary steps to say, you know what, I'm going to get out of debt even if it takes me five years to do it. I'm going to apply some simple principles, some basic principles to my life that is going to eventually pull me out of the debt that I'm in. But until we get to that place, we're going to find ourselves in debt. And I agree with you, Tammy, and, and, and you know me. I, I am I am one for, for, for sports. But, but here's the thing. Over the past couple of years, I've gotten away from being so in tune with sports. Because here's, here's my thing when it comes to sports. Those guys are... Uh, they're making millions of dollars. Those guys are earning uh, money for their for their for their lifestyles for their families. They are they are well taken care of. If I don't, if I have an opportunity to educate myself to earn money for my own my own self or my own family, and I turn it down. Because, well, I want to be entertained right now. That's just ignorant. That's ignorant. A few weeks ago, and I'm a Giants fan, a few weeks ago the Giants were were on the first Monday night football game. I didn't care. We had a show to do. That game was going to go on. Those those guys' salary will not be affected because Rodney doesn't watch it. But i tell you one thing, if, if a million people stop watching it, then we don't see what we've seen the past few weeks in sports. The problem is we put people on a platform, and therefore they think that they are bigger than life itself. You, you, now we're starting to hear all of these things about the Baltimore Ravens and the NFL and what they knew and what they didn't, didn't know. I mean, seriously, it doesn't take a rocket scientist you know, to figure out these things. But the, that's um, the world we live in. 
Go ahead, Greg. Um, I'm glad you brought up football. Um, if you're a NASCAR fan, um, this is common knowledge. The, the way that the NASCAR circuit was born is out of people that ran moonshine in souped-up cars. That's no secret. I live in Tennessee. It's where NASCAR was born. People used to cook moonshine, and they'd have to transport it to where it was going to be sold. And the only way you could do that and out, outrun the law was you needed a big block engine in your car to do that. You couldn't be driving Grandpa's Model T with a little old, you know, putt-putt motor in it. And it, it got to the point where they said, we, we need to give these people some sort of an avenue. And then they started running local races around these local circle tracks, and that's how NASCAR got built up, and that's where it came from. Moonshiners. But my point is this. You mentioned a, a thread of this. If it weren't for cable television, you wouldn't know anything about NASCAR, meaning if media didn't distribute it to you in the way that they distribute it to you, you wouldn't give uh, two pennies about NASCAR, but people treat NASCAR like they do football. It's it's a religion, you know. Number eight, man. Oh hell, what you talking about? That's so bad ball right there, boy. He gonna win that thing, or he go there. I mean, come on. Are you kidding me? I mean, there's people that that travel, you know. And, and I'm all about let's have a little bit of entertainment every now and then. But they go down there for a week and two weeks and they hang out in their RVs, and that's all they do is follow the NASCAR circuit, you know. And, and all I can say is, is, if you do that, that's fine. But what could you possibly be doing in place of that that would better your life, financially speaking? Because, you know, um, I don't even know their names much anymore. Gordon's one of these big racers. Why does he make all Jeff this money? Yeah, Jeff Gordon. And I'm not putting him down. It's because you pay these ridiculous prices to go to these events and buy all this merchandise that just makes you feel like somebody that you're never going to be. Right. And if you say, well, I disagree, i tell you what, go buy a big block engine car and go find the closest racing circuit you can find. It'll be a little dirt track, probably in a little town, and let's see how long it takes you to get to NASCAR. You could be the best driver in the world. If you don't have the connections and if you don't have the endorsements, it's never going to happen for you. How do I know this? I met a gentleman who... Um, actually operates out of Memphis, which is down in the neighborhood of where Tammy is. He was a radio voice for at least 50 years. And when I first got into radio in the late 90s, I needed someone to just mentor me just a little bit and give me some feedback on, on, on my, you know, my ability of what little talent I had. And it was hard to find that back then. And he took the time, and he critiqued my voiceover tape. And he wasn't mean, and he wasn't spiteful, and he said, these are the areas that you most certainly need to work on. And I looked at him, and I said, he's been in the business for many, many years, but I didn't worship him. I said, thank you for taking the time to do this. He didn't have to. He didn't charge me. He just simply did it because he was so far along in his career that he knew that taking an hour out of his day wasn't going to do anything. It wasn't going to hurt him. I wasn't stealing any of his business. Um, but we worship these people, as Rodney said. I didn't worship him. I respected him because he had gone before me and done what I wanted to do. And he shared a little bit of knowledge with me. Get that from an NFL player, dear listener. Well, they got a $2,000 quarterback camp I can go to, really. Call up your favorite team member and see if they'll spend half a day with you teaching you to do what they do. It's not going to happen. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. 
It's a pipe dream. And I'm not dogging people that listen to sports. I'm not saying that. I've been to a couple ball games in my day. But the bottom line is this, and it goes back to the beautiful analogy. The checkbook is the window to your soul. What does that mean? Show me where you spend your money, and I'm going to know so much about you, it's going to scare you to death. It doesn't mean I'm smart. It just means wherever you spend your money tells the world what is most important to you. How do I know this? Because money in this day and age is the closest expression to your energy and to your attention and where you spend your time. Well, Greg, I work 50 hours a week. I don't have time to do anything else. I'm not taking that away from you. What I'm saying is, is where do you spend that energy that's in the form of paper or in the form of whatever it is when you get it in your hands? If it's whatever, it doesn't matter what it is. I'm, I'm not dogging you. If it's cigarettes and whiskey and pornography, then fine. That's what's important to you. I'm not judging you. If it's taking care of your kids and your wife and doing whatever you do, then that's what's important to you. There's no judgment here at all. This is money is such a it's, it's such a sore subject for most people because they've been raised to believe that it's taboo. Don't you dare talk about money at the dinner table. Don't ever ask anyone how much money they make. Why? Well, it's personal. Is it really? What is so personal about how many dollars you trade for your labor? I'm not asking you to call in and tell me how much money you make. All I'm asking you to do is ask yourself, why is that so personal to you? Maybe because if people knew what you make and compared it to how you live, they might know something about you you don't want them to know. That's that's some deep stuff right there. (laughs) That's really deep. So, anyway, if you would like to do hostess, we can move into the debt elimination portion of the program if you choose. Absolutely. I'm ready, man. Yeah. So we talked about the mess and, and, you know, kind of the deep stuff and a little bit of the spiritual and a little bit of the social and a little bit of the economic. And Tammy does such a great job of going, Greg, tell me more about the mind. Tell me more about the heart. Tell me. And she's great at that. And Rodney's like, let's look at some practical stuff of what's going on and how we're acting and behaving. And those are those are powerful pieces. So if you're listening, you're like, okay, fine, there's a mess. How do I get out of it? I'm going to give you some simple tools, some really simple 3D stuff, and that's what we're going to talk about. How do you get out of the mess? I'm assuming you have debt. Most people do. Um, and let's just say you just bought a house whatever, or you just bought a car. Maybe you're only renting and maybe you just bought a car and it's, I don't know, 10000 20000 None of that matters. Numbers don't mean anything. Okay, because the amount of debt that you can go into is directly tied to how much money you bring home every month, right? You say, well, Greg, I know some people that are really, really rich, and they got a lot of stuff, and they're smarter than I am, and they can do this quicker than me. No, you're just assuming that those things are true. The only reason why they have more stuff than you do is because they make more money, which means they can just borrow more money. They can just dig a bigger hole than you can but they have a bigger shovel to, to put the dirt back into that hole if they choose. So the size of your shovel is your paycheck, right? Meaning we dug a hole in it, and we're not real happy that we're there. I get it. I've been there. Still got a teeny hole, but definitely light at the end of the tunnel for Greg, right? But based on your paycheck, that's the size of your shovel. 
And the shovel is what you do, what you use to put the dirt back in the hole so you're no longer six feet down with no light shining on you. You fill it up with dirt, and you're now standing on level ground, and the sunshine is hitting your skin, and you're going, I can breathe now. I can see the, I can see the, the light. I can see the air. I can breathe the air. That's basically what we're talking about. So don't use the excuse of I only make $10 an hour. Well, if you only make $10 an hour, banks are only going to lend you enough money that you can handle at $10 an hour. And we can say, well, these credit card companies are corrupt and they're wicked. Yeah, they're corrupt and wicked at some level, but if they know you only make $10 an hour, they're not going to give you a, a half a million dollar line of credit on your visa. <laughs> it make sense, right? That, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, they're only going to take the amount of risk that they know is reasonably you know, is reasonable for them to get their money back. So in a nutshell, if we have debt, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to give you sort of the Cliff Notes version of how to get out of debt. What you're going to do is you're going to get a piece of paper, whether it's now or whether it's after the show, okay? And if you're like, oh, crap, I don't have any paper, I don't have a pen, don't worry about it. Just listen to the archive show. You go to blogtalkradio.com and in the search box, you type in Butterfly Evolution, and if you want to look for the show, this show is called The Power of a Dollar. And you can listen to the show over and over and over and over and over again. And we're at the uh, hour and 15-minute mark, so if you're looking for the particular section of how to get out of debt, that's where you're going to start. So you get a piece of paper, and this is what you do. You write down all of your debts, and debt means things that can be paid off over time. A house, a car, a student loan, a four-wheeler, a whatever – a debt to your uh, family member, whatever it is. This isn't stuff like the water bill, the cable bill, any of those things. Something that you, you borrowed the money and you pay an interest rate and then it's done in a year or two years or 30 years or whatever. And you list every debt that you have. You start with the biggest one first at the top of the list and you list them all the way down to the tiniest debt that you have. Now, what we're going to do is it's tempting to attack the big one first. I'm going to get that big one. Because, dang it, it bothers me the most. And I did this when I was starting on my credit cards in 06. And I had to learn there's a different way to do things. All you do is you take that list that you just created from biggest to littlest, just flip it upside down. You're going to focus on the smallest debt first. If that small debt is $100 or $500 or $500,000, it doesn't matter. It's all based on your income. Pick the smallest debt first. And don't even think about the rest of the debts on that list for now. Just look at that one debt, and whatever the balance is, well, Greg, I don't know what the balance is. My wife handles the bills. Well, you need to wake your sleepy butt up, and you need to start paying attention to what's going on in your house. <laughs> Honey, what's the balance of the debt? Well, the statement's in the drawer. Then go to the drawer and get the statement, okay, and write down the balance. It doesn't have to be debt accurate. Just write it down. What's the minimum payment? It'll be on the statement. Minimum payment due. Write that number down. So left column, the teeniest debt, right column, the minimum payment. Don't include anything you add to it, even if it's $5, just the minimum payment that the creditor wants from you. And we're going to do some simple math. Now, if you don't have a calculator, this can be a little $2 calculator from the dollar store. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. If you don't have one of those, go online. If you're listening to the show, there's a decent chance you're on the Internet. Just go to Google and type in calculator, and you'll, you'll find a simple calculator. Windows computers have a simple calculator on them. Mac computers do too. Just simple math. 
take the minimum payment and divide it into the balance. That's all you got to do. And that's how many months it's going to take you to pay that debt off. Well, but Greg, it's 29% interest, and I heard that it's compounding. And it, No. Take all of that out of your mind and push it. Just push it out of the way and just take the minimum payment and divide it into the balance. And let's say you divide that minimum payment into the balance, and the answer is 24. That means it's going to take you 24 months to pay the debt off. And 24 months, as we all know, is two years. Well, Greg, two years, man, that's a long time. Well, if you're making the minimum payments, it's going to take you that long anyway, right? <laughs> so we can say, okay, two years, fine. I'm going to pay this thing off. We're going to look for some extra money in our budget, uh, in our spending plan. Whatever politically correct word makes you feel good, use the word. Most people don't like the word budget. It makes them feel yucky and I'm constrained, and you're going to tell me what to do. No, I'm not. Use the word that works the best for you. So look in your budget somewhere and just be honest with yourself. You don't have to tell anybody about what you make, what you spend. This is you privately, and hopefully if you're married, your spouse is sitting there with you. And if you have children, even if they're five or six, let's get them at the table too because they need to be having these conversations and seeing what's going on and how we're going to change our lives. Now, if they're little itty-bitty babies, obviously, they can't talk, okay, fine. But even four, five, six, get them in there. They need to see this. You coming together with your spouse, or even if you're not married, doesn't matter. Baby daddy, I don't care. Boyfriend, girlfriend, it doesn't matter. We're doing this together. We're going to look in our budget, and we're going to be honest with ourselves. Even if the door's locked and no one else is listening, where can I look in my budget in the amount of money that I spend and find some extra money that I can add to this minimum monthly payment and speed up this 24-month payoff period that we're looking at here, right? So you look in there and you go, Greg, there is no extra money. We're barely getting by. That may be true. Look somewhere in where you're spending your money and find out where you can free up some of your money, which is your energy and your attention. It's your heart, your blood, your sweat, and your tears. That's what your money is. And we're going to redirect a little bit of that, and we're going to add it to that minimum payment. Now, I will tell you based on experience in my own life and my own debt journey and in helping people, the area that you're going to probably find money the quickest is going to be in entertainment, whatever that is for you, uh, you know, Whatever, football games, it doesn't matter what it is. Anything you consider entertainment, you're going to find some money in there. And the other one is eating out. Those are the two biggest areas. And this is one that upsets a lot of people, and I've said it a thousand times, and I'll say it again. How many packs of cigarettes are you smoking, and how much beer are you drinking? And that's not a, you're a sinner, no. I'm just asking you to look at stuff that you're spending your money on. And ask yourself, can I redirect this money, even if it's temporarily, to getting rid of this debt? Oh, Greg, I'm not giving up my cigarettes. I've been smoking for 45 years. Have you really? I personally know a man who's been smoking since he was 13. They just sawed his sternum open and repaired a vein on his heart. And he can't wait to smoke his next cigarette. I feel you, and I understand that. And I'm not telling you if you don't give them up your week and you have no constitution and you're immoral, that's not what I'm telling you. I'm just telling you, if you want to get out of debt bad enough, inside the bounds of morality and the law, you're going to come up with some creative ways. 
to add money to that minimum payment. Any comments, Tammy and Rodney? Tammy, go ahead. Oh, I can go. It doesn't matter. I do have a question. Um, let's say, let's just take a credit card, say $400 balance, and the minimum payment is $25. Is there a way, um, like once you find that extra money and say you find you found an extra $25, do you make the full, now do you make $50 every month, or do you make 25 or all of it towards principal. I guess the question is, can you, with credit cards, is there a way to get that balance down? Um, you know, with cars you, you, and homes, you can go in and pre- pay towards the principal only. Is that just for cars and houses and things like that? No. The Here's the difference. If it's a car and you, you get your statement or you pay it online, there's usually a spot, like you said, that says prepaid principal, and that's fine. You're asking them to apply it to the principal only. Because if you don't tell them that, they'll apply it to the interest only. That's the way you do it with an installment loan or an, uh, a debt that's not revolving, which is what a credit card is. Now, when you prepay a credit card, and we use Tammy's example, the balance is 400 and the minimum payment is 25 You don't need to call the credit card company and say, please apply this extra 25 to the principal. You just send them a check, and you say, well, Greg, they're not going to apply it. The fact that you've added money to that minimum payment is going to negate the revolving interest that would have accumulated over time if you hadn't prepaid it. Does that make sense? Tim, are you there? Yes, I'm saying, would you see that on your statement? Would you would you be able to tell that, um, that if you make $50 every month for the next six, seven months without using the card, would you be able to see, should you be able to see that in your balance? Yeah, what what they'll do is, let's say you made 50 instead of 25 on the payment and the balance was 400, you just wait for your next statement to show up and they'll tell you what your last payment was. You know, so let's say it's $400 balance and the interest rate is 15%. Um, every time you don't pay the balance into the 31st day, then they take the accumulated interest and they add it to the balance, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. But by prepaying it with another $25, okay. you're basically you're, you're, you're putting out the fire faster, and that accumulating interest doesn't have the ability to snowball on you. Okay, okay. So, and, and you know, there are financial calculators that will do the deep math, but quite honestly, that's a complete waste of time because once you start popping that $400 with an extra 25 that thing's going to go away so fast you're just going to be doing cartwheels going oh thank you god you know this visa is gone it's over okay. with it's done and you just move on okay did that answer your question that answers my question yep yeah and and one of the things is go ahead no 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 go ahead now, what we do is, is is we've listed all these debts, whether it's two debts or ten, it doesn't really matter, or even if it's just one, everybody's different, and we pay the first one off. We want the smallest balance first because we want the quickest victory. You know, We want to see progress immediately. Well, Greg, my biggest balance debt has the biggest interest rate, and my smallest balance debt has the smallest interest rate, and I'll echo what one of the most famous financial teachers in the world would say. If we understood math, we wouldn't be in this mess now, would we? Right? So as we're prepaying, yeah, as we're prepaying our debt, 
we do not think about the interest rate on the debt because by prepaying, we are negating that. We're crushing the ability for that prepaid interest to gain momentum and continue to build. We're just wiping it out, and we're paying off the balance sooner, which means over time we pay less interest. And by the way, let's cover a very simple definition. What is interest paid on money borrowed? It's rent, right? Mm-hmm. If I borrow $100,000 from Rodney Jordan and he says, Greg, I'm going to lend it to you for 20 years and I'm going to charge you 6% interest. What does it mean when I pay Rodney interest? I'm paying him rent for the use of his money. That's all it is. So let's stop being renters. And what does it mean? What it means is, is your paycheck is coming in every month. Whether that paycheck is $500 or 1000 or 10000 it doesn't matter. If you are not handling that money that's coming into your life in a better way, there are plenty of people that are standing right next to you that will gladly take it from you, especially if you don't put up a fight and especially if you don't understand how the system works. They'll gladly take your money from you. They'll say, yes, I will rent you my money because you don't have the discipline to save your own. It doesn't make them evil people. You could say it makes them opportunists. Yeah, they're opportunists. Will there always be opportunists? Probably. How long has the devil been around? I don't know. When, when, was, the, when was the angel Lucifer created? I don't know. But he's always been around, hasn't he? You think he's going to go to sleep and forget about you? No. He's going to patiently wait. He always does this, doesn't he? We're using this as a metaphor. Whatever your religion is, plug in the words that work for you. The devil's never going to forget about you. He's just going to sit around and wait until you get tired of fighting the good fight. And he's going to go, come on over. I've been waiting for you, man. I'll always be here for you. Right? <laughs> You're right. It's true. That is, that is true. Yeah. So we're, you that know... Is- we're just changing the way we're doing things. That's all it is. And, and I will warn you if you're listening and you get excited about paying off your debt and there's going to be a natural thing inside of you that wants to share this with other people, I'm warning you, you might not get a positive reaction from your family members and your friends <laughs> and your church members. There's a possibility. Not all of them are going to be this way. Some are going to be cheerleaders for you. They're going to go, oh, you think you're somebody now. Because you've got you a little bit of knowledge. Oh, you're better than me because you don't have any credit card debt anymore? I've had people tell me this that I've known since the middle 1980s. Oh, Greg, now that now you've got all this figured out, what, you, you're just better than me? I'm like, no. How long have I known you? Since 1986 and you're talking to me in this way? People get ugly when it comes to money. They just get weird. <laughs> hey, Greg, I have a question as it yeah. relates to finding um trying to find ways to for that extra money. When it comes to income tax time, I know that people take joy in getting this this um thick lump sum back. Is is should we look at our W2s and and you know determine cuz some people will claim zero so that um more is taken out and they get that money back whereas if they put, you know, true numbers they would probably get more during the year. I think I said that right. But is there a time in, 
that we should look at our in, our W-2s as it relates to income tax, and if so, what should we be looking for in order to, to change that so that we don't give them our money for us for them to give it back to us at the well, beginning of the year? Yeah, there's two ways you can do it. I mean, you can have them take more, and then you get it back at the end of the year. I mean, that's perfectly fine. It's basically some people look at it as a way of disciplining themselves to save money. You're not really saving money. The government is taking the fruit of your labor from you by the force of law, and, and that's a whole different show. We won't, you know, we won't go into that, but let's just call the income tax return. It, it, it is your money. It's not the government's money. They basically borrowed it from you. Well, they, they stole it from you, and they didn't pay you interest on it, by the way. So that's your money. You work for the money. If you didn't, they wouldn't give it to you, right? So you can say, well, do I want them to take more during the year and then – I get some back, or do I want them to take less during the year, and then I have more use of my money during the year? I know an investor like that. He didn't pay any taxes during the entire year. He paid them all at the end of the year because he was smart enough to, to take the money that he was making and invest as much of it as he possibly could. Now, he was a, you know, an exception to the rule. But for normal people, W-2 folks, myself included, I've gotten a return for basically as long as I've worked. And there have been years when I've gotten that return, and I've blown it when I was younger. And there were times when I got my return, and I had to pay off credit card debt because I accumulated it from, like, September to December. And there have been times when I got my return, and I stuck it in the bank. So it just depends on, you know, what you want to do. Did that okay. answer your All question? Right. Yes, that yeah. did. That answered my question. Thank you. Yeah. So let's say um, – I'm looking forward to tax time, and I'm getting whatever it is, a thousand, two thousand, three thousand, four thousand. It doesn't really matter, and I'm really, really excited. Why are you excited? I'm not saying I haven't gotten excited. Trust me, I'm like, heck yeah, we're fixing to get four grand, man. Let's do some stuff, you know, whatever. <laughs> the question is, why are you excited? If you already had that money sitting in the bank, you would probably go, hey, it's going to be nice to get the check, and it's going to be nice to put it to good use. But if you haven't saved any money during the year, that's probably why you're really excited about getting the return. It, it isn't good, bad, or indifferent. I'm just simply saying, if you've got some money in the bank, even if it's just you know $500 or maybe even $1,000, and that's what your return is, it'll be nice to double your money in your savings account. But just look at and ask yourself, why do I get so excited when I get my money back? Is it because I'm dead broke all year? And what I would encourage you not to do is wait until around August or September and start popping your credit cards up knowing you're going to get a return so you can pay it off. Because when we do that, and I've done it, we're spending our future labor today. We're promising it into the future. That's what debt is. What are some other ways, Greg, that, 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 that people can save money? For example, I was listening to a radio show one time, and, you know, it was pointing out how much money people spend um, a week at Starbucks, and they were t they were comparing, you know, the price of making your coffee at home versus, you know, spending two or three bucks or more um, at Starbucks, depending on what you buy. What, what are some other ways um, that people can, can save money? Um, one of the one of the easiest ways would be um, let's say you work and you happen to have insurance 
um, and you have a spouse or partner that works and has insurance, um, check to see if, like, let's say my wife and I, she works for a bank, I work for a bank, and let's say she's got me on her bill and I've got myself on dental. We don't need that, right? So look for mm-hmm. duplicate insurance. That, that's, a, that's just one area, and we've done that. You know, she drops me and I carry me or vice versa. Um, another thing would be, I mean, the grocery store is probably the most common one where people can kind of attack it and look at coupons and things. But um, daily spending, I think, is is a really important one. And, and I'll ask this question. And I I used to go to Starbucks a lot, and I occasionally do, but not as much as I used to. And let's say I go in there and I spend three fifty four. Um, uh, let's say the medium coffee is sixteen ounces. And I'm like, you know, they're really good. I like them, and, and they're amazing. But I'm like, man, these coffees are three fifty for sixteen ounces. But yet. You pay that for a gallon of gasoline, and you're screaming at the top of your lungs about who's in office and how lazy they are and all the crap going on in Iraq. And I'm like, let's get some perspective here, people, right? You know, gas needs to be less than $3 a gallon, but we'll gladly pay three fifty for a 16-ounce coffee. So that aside, uh, my little rant there on the Starbucks thing, um, <laughs> daily spending, like coffee and lunches are another big one. Um, it, and I, I typically buy my lunch right near my work quite a bit simply because I have the disposable income to do that. Uh, but there will come a time very soon my wife will retire in the next three months, maybe six tops. I'm going to have to start curbing that tremendously because her income is going to be cut by, I would say, probably at least half. So I'll start looking, hey, need to cut down, go back to the way you know I used to, get lean, get a little bit meaner, and maybe eat out once a week. Um, it's typically said that if you buy it at a grocery store, excuse me, if you buy it at a restaurant, it's going to cost you half as much if you if you eat out at home. You know, so make a sandwich, take a lunch, whatever. If you're paying uh, $15 at the uh, restaurant, you can do it for $7.50 at home by fixing it yourself. Um, what would be another good way to save money? Um, I would say, here's an easy one: look at your cable bill. Look at your cell phone bill. Um, if I told you what we pay for Internet and iPhone and iPad, you'd just be like, are you kidding me? But I think most people typically do that. Um, you know, we have a data plan maybe we haven't looked at in a while. Maybe we had a data plan when two kids were in the house. Now they're gone, but we're still under contract. Maybe wait till the contract expires. Maybe buy it out. Do the math on that. And just look at paring it down a little bit. You know, I'm not talking about going to – two tin cans and a piece of string. I mean, you know, if you can afford the technology um, and you like the comfort of having a phone for maybe a flat tire or an emergency, fine. But look at your cell phone plans. Definitely look at your cable. I think most of us way overspend on cable. Um, I'm a little out of the extreme. In the extreme, I, I do Netflix, twelve ninety five a month. That's it. I don't have any mainstream cable coming into my house, and it's been that way since the late 1980s. I just said, I don't watch this stuff. I'm working 12 hours a day. Who needs it? And I haven't gone back to it since. <laughs> so, I, th- I think it would be a, I think it would be very difficult for a lot of people to give up that. Not to say that they should or should not, but uh, I, I think it takes a lot of discipline uh, to make those tough decisions. And, and sadly, I've heard a lot of people say, you know, that they're spending money on on things that they're not even using yet. You know, they wanted to be there so that, hey, you know, I want this cable even though I'm paying for, you know, 800 channels and 
I'm never home, but just in case, you know, when I am home, I would like to be able to to turn this on. Um, I'll give you just a rough example here. I don't have my calculator, so I can't give you the hard numbers, but let's just say you were to drop your cable or decrease it by $50 a month. If you took that 50 and prepaid your mortgage, let's just say you could save five years of your working life. I'm not saying that that number is accurate, but what if you could save three years of your working life by dropping your cable, which means when you reach 62, you don't have to work till you're 65 because your mortgage is gone. And the question you have to ask yourself, me included, is, is me giving up $50 worth of cable that I don't use worth 36 months of my blood, sweat, and tears when I'm 62? You know, we're, we're so narrowly focused because of the way we're trained. And I hate to use the word, we are heavily trained in this country through media, through politics, and especially through religion. And I'm not picking on religion. We are heavily trained in those three areas. Politics, media, and religion are heavily influenced. Most of us think we're actually free-thinking human beings, and we're, most of us are very far from it. Since you brought so, that up, I want to get your thoughts on that. What do you, what, what do you think about uh, when you see um, these, these, these mega churches? and I've seen several documentaries, I've seen uh, you know, episodes on CNN, um, you know, MSNBC or whatever, where they've talked about these mega churches and, you know, these men and women uh, doing God's work, yet the question has been, you know, why do you need this multi-million dollar building or why, why is it necessary for you to fly around, you know, in a private jet? And my, my concern has always been, uh, you know the, the 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 spending that I see, or or, or the luxury, um, or the luxurious lifestyles that I see, you know, people living in in the church, knowing that they have members in their congregation who are suffering. Sort of like seeing parents, you know, out in public, and the parents look phenomenal. You know, the mothers have their hair done. They have all of, all of this fancy jewelry, they have brand new outfits, and then you look at the children and you're like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, are you two actually related? What, what, what do you think when you see all of that? Well, I think we need to go back to the root of what it is that we're talking about, only in my estimation, not Rodney's, only in my estimation. When, when we look at a church whether it be a mega or a non-mega, and we look at these people that we hold up in esteem, we have to understand what we mean when we say the vicar of Christ. And the vicar of Christ comes from the word vicarious. And vicarious means to live through another medium or through another person or through another channel. So when we say that the Pope is the vicar of Christ, what that means if I'm a Catholic, which I'm not, is... I must pass through the Pope to get to God. And that's what the modern-day Christian church is. They haven't created this. They've simply benefited from it, and they've kind of dressed it up in a different way. You know, I am the gatekeeper, and you must pass through me to experience Jesus or whatever this may be. And if I can add uh, accoutrements, which means bling to my life, as you pay me to do that, then so be it. Um, and 
not to vilify these people who do this, who run these mega churches. Um, the money that is given to them is not taken by by people forcibly. People give it to them willingly. So we have to ask the question: Why do people feel the need to give their money to a mega church to to fill whatever it is the void is for them? I don't know the answer to that question, but I do know this: Any religion that has ever been created more than likely ends up in the same category of all other religions. There's someone telling us we have to pass through a middleman before we can get to the creator. And I'm here to tell you, you have immediate and constant and 100% 24-7 access to God anytime you want it. You don't need to go through anybody to get it. Well, Greg, I don't uh-huh. know. <laughs> you know. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Greg. It's, you know, that's a very, very touchy subject, and I'm only speaking for myself. I've been inside the church. I've been on the board of directors. I've been the treasurer, and it, it's the same. Eighty percent of the money that flows in comes from 20 percent of the people, and the other 80 percent are standing around waiting for someone else to make a decision. And unfortunately, as special as a lot of us want to feel inside of our church and inside of our religion, it is a very close mirror to what you would call the heathen population or the non-believer. There's not much difference. Economically speaking, very, very similar. And that's hard. Um, there are people who would say, how dare you? I'm just telling you my experience. It doesn't mean that it's true. I've been on the inside of the church, a small one, but it's basically the same. I mean... If, if I am running a mega church and I believe that I am ordained to do a specific work, and I'm not saying that these people don't truly believe that, let me ask you a simple question. If I've been called to do God's work and I'm starting from scratch, I mean nothing, why am I looking for a space to rent? Why am I looking for a building to put a mortgage on? If you're called to do God's work, just do it. You don't need debt to do the work, do you? Because if you remove the money from these churches, these mega churches, they could possibly evaporate very quickly, I would think. And you'd say, well, great, they got their own money. I don't know what their financials look like. I've never looked at them before, but I'm willing to bet that if people stop putting money in the plate, the show would end rather quickly. And that's, <laughs> that's, just, a good that's, point. that's just me. <laughs> we have a caller, so we're gonna we're gonna take our caller and uh, see what their question or comment is, and we're pulling you in from area code two zero two. My negative words, last four digits are zero five three two. Call you on the air with us. How you doing, my brother, Reverend Anthony Martin? Calling in. I had to give you all a call and and speak to that comment um, in reference to the position of the church. That, you certainly know this is a subject that touches my heart when it comes to dealing with the church. But a quick note, just to help you all get a, a biblical perspective on things and to add to Brother Greg on tonight, because he certainly has some powerful things to say. But I will say this, that we we uh, should understand the, um, the timing that we're in in terms of the church position. Um, number one, the seven churches that you look at when you look at the book of Revelations in the beginning, there's a purpose for those seven churches. It's one, it's a church history. 
from beginning to end. Two is the church attitude from beginning to end. And three is the church existence from beginning to end. And the way that you understand the position of the church today is that you look into those seven churches as it reads and how Christ is speaking to them, and you line that word that you hear in the in the Bible in which Christ has to say and line it up with today's churches. And the area in which Christ is speaking to them in reference to today's churches is the last church. It's called Lodice. And it speaks in Christ is speaking to them as being uh, neither hot nor cold. But the church is claiming we're rich, we're wealthy, and we don't need a thing. So basically what this is telling you is that these are the times in which the church is in, the last times, the last days of the church. And in the last days, they're claiming rags and riches. And this is the attitude of the church. And so it's not by coincidence uh, that these things are in place. These things are in place simply by a divine order as to how God set things up for the church for the very purpose of the church being improving times. And what I mean by that, they're the first to be judged. So God puts things before them and puts things before them to say, you want my inheritance? Then this is your judgment. This is your proving ground to prove yourself worthy of entering into my heaven and receiving the proper rewards, the proper inheritance. So where is your attitude today? Where is your mindset today? And the mindset is more on the worldly things, the treasures, earthly treasures the Bible speaks of instead of the heavenly treasures. So I try to help uh, many of our Christian brothers and sisters understand the position of where we are, and that's what you're mainly seeing, the attitude of being rich, wealthy, and not needing a thing. And Christ said to them that you're neither hot nor cold but lukewarm, and I shall spit you out of my mouth for that attitude. Because of that attitude, I am not. But if you turn away from such activities, Christ told the church, then I will honor you and have you to sit at the head table and eat with you and bring you into the house and give you such rewards as needed, such as the five crowns. So just to give you a word on that, not to take away from our brother Greg, because he certainly has been on uh, some powerful information on tonight. But I just wanted to throw that word at you, brother. And Sister Tammy, thank you again for having me on. And brother Greg, you're doing a a wonderful job on tonight, my brother, and speaking very powerful with the words in which you... uh, definitely have instilled in you, and that's why I encourage you to continue on your message as you move forward. Thank you for calling in. It, um, you know, in in the end game, um, I'll share a church with you that's literally um, just up the street from where I live, maybe two traffic lights. It's literally one traffic light from the interstate, interstate being six lanes or four lanes north and four lanes south. It's a very big church, and they just recently did a massive addition to it. I mean, it's, it's really big, and um, 
not saying anything against growth is good or bad or indifferent, but the bottom line is if we're just growing for the sake of growing, you know, it doesn't really matter how big the building is. Um, you know, what's really going on? You know, are, are what are we doing? Are, are we spreading the word? Are we teaching? Um, are we nurturing our children? Are we learning to live in a better way? Uh, do we have a set of values that we're following, whatever those may be? And, and if it's just growth for the sake of growth, I don't agree with it. Um, and, and if we're growing and we're using debt to do it, and the, and the members of the church are paying that debt, they're in bondage. Uh, but I think some of us mistakenly believe that we're supposed to do this because, you know, God told the preacher that we're supposed to grow and build a new wing and build a gymnasium for the kids and whatever. If you're borrowing money to do that, you're in bondage. Um, there's no other way for me to say that. And that includes me. I still have debt that I haven't gotten rid of. I'm working on it. And it is it is bondage. Uh, unfortunately, it's voluntary bondage. Uh, but we can change. And if we do, um, the system will reform itself or reshape itself and simply wake up and say, there's no longer a demand for this debt. There's no longer a demand for the slavery. We're, we're either going to fold our tent and leave or we're going to try to cook up another way to put another covering on this thing known as debt slavery and try to resell it to them. They've been doing that for a century. The Federal Reserve Bank was a century old, December 23rd of last year, and they've now installed a woman as their head, wanting you to think there's change because now it's a woman for the first time in 100 years. It's no different whether it's Bush, Clinton, Obama, Roosevelt, it doesn't matter. Until the banking system is completely eradicated, I don't mean reformed, eradicated, it doesn't matter who they put in office, politically speaking. You're going to get the same thing over and over and over again. What do you think, what do you think would have to happen in order for, for, for things to change or for people's mindsets to change? And, and, and tell me by all means, jump in at any time. I'm here. I'm, I'm just enjoying listening. Keep it going. <laughs> Go ahead, Greg. I, uh, in my personal experience, there was a time in my life when I thought what it is that I thought needed to change. The question is, what is change? Define it, Greg. What do you mean by change, Greg? Change where? Change when? Change how? And I was really frustrated with that because there's like 7 billion people on the planet, 6 to 7, give or take. Every day people are living and dying. And I'm like, I, would, I want this change to sweep the planet. Most of us are taught that. If, if people would accept the tenets of a particular teaching, change would sweep the planet. I am of the belief that the change is small, it's incremental, and it doesn't spread like a brush fire in the world that we're living in today. Um, so the question is, what would it take for people to change? I can't answer that question. That is an individual question for each and every person listening to this show. Whatever area of their life it is, whether it's money, relationship, um, it doesn't really matter. I will tell you this. It doesn't matter whether it's money or it's your relationship with other people or it's your relationship with God. If you make change in one area of your life, all of the other areas don't have a choice but to change. It's dynamic. It's synergistic. Whatever word you want to use, it does affect all of the other areas of your life. If I start cleaning up my finances and I do it in a good, healthy spirit, not an area of greed and hoarding, 
all of the other areas of my life. I can't compartmentalize them. They're going to change. I change my relationship with money. I'm changing the relationship ultimately with God. You change your relationship with your spouse, you're ultimately changing your relationship with God because it's been said so many times, relationships are one of the biggest lessons that we're put here to learn and to, to, to do all these lessons that we're supposed to go through. So if I'm angry at my wife and I'm, I'm tired of her being a certain way and I'm thinking I'm going to change her, there's something inside of me that I have not yet reconciled. And if there's something inside of me that I have not yet reconciled, I have issues with God. That's the bottom line for me. If I'm angry at the world, I'm angry at God. If I'm at peace with God, I'm at peace with the world. Pretty deep stuff. Uh, Reverend Martin, any any comments to that before uh, we got about three minutes left? Any any uh, any comment to that? Uh, well, change first and foremost. I would uh, say uh, it comes with you, the individual, first. Um, before you can change anyone else, you would have to make uh, change within yourself. And most time, uh, the the saying goes, uh, "Lead by example," and so. When one exercise discipline within themselves to make a change, your change first and foremost must be to seek God first, and his righteousness and all other things will come unto you. And as you stay on your path and maintain your path, then you will follow or you will see people, you know, following suit. Anytime that uh, a great leader uh, is one who just doesn't lead, but a great leader is one who has the ability to lead others. And so change comes by way of you, the individual who is seeking to change others. And then when they see you, just like a child, the child sees the father does, the child follows. So I would always say stay on God and seek God first. Let him direct your path because it is by God who gave us life. And it is by God who will lead us through this life at all times. And only God and no one else. So stay on your path. Stay with God and know your position in Christ is my word. Most definitely. And and by the way, that was Reverend Anthony Martin who was with us uh, last week. And uh, he is the author of Stop Killing Me, Black Man. And you can, I believe, get the e-book right now, uh, Reverend Martin. Yes, sir. The ebook at Amazon.com, and then you can go on my blog at www.blog. I mean, the Kingdom Culture blog dot wordpress dot com, and also get it there, but mainly at Amazon Kindle. Thank you so much for joining the conversation, uh, Greg. We're going to turn it over to you for some final words and comment, then I'll close out the show. Go ahead, Greg. Uh, listening to what the gentleman just said, it, it, it brought me to a comment that I've never really thought about in my mind. If you've ever heard of what's called the prayer closet and, and you're not familiar with it or you don't understand it or you're afraid of it, just think of a closet in your house. Open up the door to the first closet that you see. If you're the type of person that likes to accumulate a lot of junk, you can't fit in that closet. You need to clean that junk out so you can get in there and spend some quiet time with God, right? What's in the closet? It's all the junk you haven't been dealing with. 
Debt could be one example, right? Fighting and feuding with your spouse and not dealing with that could be another one. A bad relationship with your kids could be another one. Do some house cleaning first. Make some room in that prayer closet, whatever that is for you. As the gentleman just said, you need to get in touch with God and have a conversation because when that happens, you can't even hold back the floodgate of change. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Well, we're so glad that you came on. Uh, Tammy, go ahead. Um, I just like to, it makes me, all this think, makes me think about the Proverbs 4 and 23, uh, guard your heart for out of it flows the issues of life. And we, we really need to think about that because it brings me back to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy where it talks about um, seeking God with your, with your whole heart. And see, some of us want to play on both teams. And I, I've never seen where they allow you to play on one team and then go out and play for the other just can't happen. So it goes back to make a decision about what you need to change. And first and foremost, it in my case, I'm speaking for me, it was looking at me and figuring out my relationship with God. Was I playing both teams? And I realized I was. And it wasn't until consistent consistency and really looking at my heart to figure out what what the, what I had allowed the world, I the choices that I have have made that had that had ruined my heart, corrupted my heart, and if you're not seeking God with your whole heart, you belong to this world, and that's that's what I will end with. The world is consuming you. And that was uh, the regular host, uh, our regular host of the Butterfly Evolution Show. Uh, Tammy Gator. I'm going to finish with uh, some statistics. Um, according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor um, stats, $1,200 per person is spent on vacations for, per year, $4,000 for a family of four. Weekly, we spend about $146 to $289 on groceries. Twenty billion billion with a B as in boy, twenty billion dollars per year on movies. Thirteen billion dollars per year on video games. And again, that's B as in boy. Since two thousand nine, fourteen billion dollars have been spent on performing arts. Ten billion dollars have been spent on NFL tickets. After everything that you've heard tonight, I have two questions for you. The first one is, where has your money been going all this time? And number two, after being educated by Mr. Greg Whitaker, also known as the Debt Shepherd, where will your money go from this day forward? This has been Rodney Jordan, again, filling in for Tammy. Well, not so much. On the Butterfly Evolution Show, we invite you to come back next Monday as we will be talking about domestic violence and child abuse. That's been a hot one in the news, mainly because of the NFL. But we're going to talk about that. We're going to have Aaron Jordan on with us, who will be promoting his Know Your Worth movement and his book signing that he will be doing in Brooklyn, New York. Join us again 
Have a great night, and we will end with our usual song that we do for Tammy's cousin Diane down in Georgia. Have a great night, everybody.
feels like everything is passing me by. Every now and then, it's feeling like my ship has gone and sailed away. But I, I gotta be strong. Gotta hold on. It won't be too long. Now the tide is coming in. I see the waves flowing out there on the ocean. I know my ship is coming in. Just past the horizon. And right where the sky ends. Out there on the ocean. Oh, my ship is coming in So don't leave me hanging I've been waiting too long For this moment My ship has finally come I will travel to the seven Like fighting with gravity And it's bringing me down If this world is really round Then tell me how It's just a note for you to come around Place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.